too. Okay. Um, we two reasons we are doing a double meeting today is one the coin is set up for the banquet tonight, and we as elders thought it would be helpful to have a class um, around the topic of leaders, a biblical view on leaders, fallen leaders, and how us as believers should live our lives. And so all three of us are going to take about 15 minutes apiece and um, share an aspect of this. And uh, then at the end, we'll have about 15 minutes or so for questions and answers. So if you can, we got a lot of material that we're going to try to get out. So if you do have a question, just jot it down and remember to ask that at the very end because uh, we won't field questions during uh, the time we're teaching. Jeremy's going to lead off with a um, short video um, that kind of uh, inspired this conversation uh, that we're going to have today, and then we'll get right into class. Friends, I just want to take a few minutes here to just share from my heart about the Ravi Zacharias scandal. And if you're not familiar with what's going on, Ravi Zacharias was a very famous speaker, author, apologist, very influential in the apologetics community. Many apologists would say that uh, his organization and his lectures and books and words were incredibly impactful in their own journeys toward becoming apologists. Um, he died of cancer last May, and allegations have been brought out of sexual misconduct. Uh, just uh, You can go online to look at all of those. And in the last few days, Ravi's organization, RZIM, has confirmed that their ongoing investigation uh, shows that he is guilty of the sexual misconduct. And in fact, in the, the report, they even say, and I'll just quote this here, it says, credible evidence that Mr. Zacharias engaged in sexual misconduct over the course of many years. Some of that misconduct is consistent with and corroborative of that which is reported in the news recently. And some of the conduct we have uncovered is more serious. And so uh, not only what we're reading in the... Um, the different uh, outlets that have reported on this, what RZIM is saying is that it's actually worse. There's more to come out that, that we don't even know about right now. And so I, I'm, I'm not overly optimistic about human nature. And so I think because of that, it doesn't surprise me when Christian leaders fail, when they fall, when they're involved in abuse scandals. Um, I don't always comment on it, but... One of the reasons I felt compelled to comment on the Ravi Zacharias scandal is because I've been so public in the past about endorsing his ministry. I share a story, a very personal story, uh, both in my book and uh, through video, probably on lots of different podcasts over the years, over the past few years, where I share a story about... Um, Jeremy's going to spend a little bit more time um, talking about that situation in itself um, and going over that. I'm going to spend the first 
15 minutes here talking about our leaders and how we follow our leaders, what we look for in our leaders, uh, and how that we should be careful that we don't idolize our leaders, um, whether it be the leaders, elders in our local church, or uh, people like Rave, Zacharias, and others um, that aren't in sin, you know, just leaders that are out there on the internet. And so the first thing I want to talk about today, and remember, if you have questions, write these down and uh, ask them at the end here. Should we, uh, uh, how should we follow our Christian leaders? Okay? And I'm going to have some verses I just want you to write down. We don't have a ton of time, so I'm not going to read all of them. Um, but in Hebrews, chapter number 13 um, gives us some insight on, on leaders and how we should follow them. Okay? Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 7 uh, gives this, what an elder does as far as preaching and teaching. And then it says at the latter part of the verse that we should imitate their faith. And so, what should we follow in our We should follow the example of our leaders. Okay? That is one thing that, as, and when I use the word leader here, uh, in this context, I'm talking specifically to us about Jeremy Tyler and I. Okay? The, the elders of this local church is what I'm uh, referring to when I, when I use the word leader. How should we follow our leaders? We should imitate their faith. Okay? And then in Hebrews 13, 17, it says we should obey them and we should submit to them. Now, I'm not going to go lengthy into those. That's just what Scripture says. And the reason it says that is for the next point I want to give. So we should obey our Christian leaders. This isn't saying that we should obey them in everything that a Christian leader says. We should obey them biblically when they biblically give counsel to you or that we biblically give counsel, that you should submit to that and obey what is being uh, presented to you uh, from the elders in a biblical way. Where we see danger is, is elders or pastors oftentimes will abuse that, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, where you need to obey everything we say. And that is not what Scripture is saying here at all. Okay, so obeying and submitting is to when we are preaching the Word of God and we're giving biblical counsel. And uh, for an example, if you were to come and say, uh, Mark, Jeremy, Tyler, should I marry this individual? Um, if you're a single person, the question I'm going to ask you is, is that person, to your knowledge, a believer and following God? Okay, and if you say no, then the biblical counsel will be, no, you should not marry that person. Um, and you would need to submit to that counsel. That is biblical counsel. Um, but if I say, no, you shouldn't marry her or him because, you know, I don't like their hair color, that's not something you have to submit to, okay? Uh, it needs to be grounded and based upon a biblical principle. Now, you can ask our opinion, and that is completely different. Okay? An opinion is an opinion. And that might vary between the three of us. Okay? Biblical opinion shouldn't vary, but my opinion and their opinion could vary. And so if you want an opinion, that's fine, but understand that's just an opinion. Okay? Um, 
and then moving, why should we follow our Christian leaders? Okay, Hebrews, uh, at the end of Hebrews 13, 17, it talks about the Christian leaders or elders or pastors of the local church keep watch over your soul, okay, and they will give an account. We will give an account for how we lead you and that how we guide you uh, in our local church. We are responsible for that. That's why it's not a, a small thing for us to uh, be pastors. It's not something that you should just suddenly become. Uh, it is a, it is a uh, major um, deal in Scripture and should be looked at that way. And we, uh, as the, the pastors of this local church, will give an account for your souls. And so it's not a light thing that we look at at all. When we look to give you counsel, we're looking to God first and saying, how can we best lead you? And that is, in return, you should trust and submit to us. And that's the third point I have here. Um, why, uh, what, should we, what should be our response to our leaders? We should obey and joy. That, again, is in Hebrews 17. We should obey them in joy, not with grief. And the reason that that's there is we shouldn't obey with grief because it, obeying and grief are out of, I just, okay, I will. Um, there's no benefit in it, and that's what the end of Hebrews 13, 17 says. There's, there is no, it is unprofitable for you, is the word used. And so, we, you should obey with joy, and that's not always easy. Okay, not everything that we say uh, when we're counseling, especially if there's a sin issue or anything else in that way, not everything we say is always going to be joyful to hear, but you should respond with a heart of acceptance, a heart of submission, and understand that our heart is to, to help and to guide. Okay? Uh, and then things we should look for in our leaders. Okay? Things we should look for in our leaders. I get going and I got to make sure I stay on track here. <clears throat> okay. um, they should meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Okay? That is something that we um, should always meet. It's not that when Tyler and I became elders, uh, was it two years ago? year and a half ago, when we met those, now we can live however we want because we met them one time. and We can live however we want now because we met them. No, this is an ongoing constant. We have to meet the standard given in Scripture as an elder. Okay, And that is, again, uh, if you want to study that, which I really encourage all of us to do, is in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. They should shepherd the flock of God or feed God's people. Okay, a elder's responsibility is to feed the, the people of God scripturally. It's one of the major requirements of that, okay? And the scripture reference for that is 1 Peter 5, 2. All right, and a lot of these are going to be in 1 Peter. They should give biblical oversight. Biblical oversight, okay? Again, the, the understanding is you can ask questions and give, uh, say, Mark, what is your opinion on should I buy this house? That is an opinion that I would be able to give you a good 
understanding whether you should buy or you know this house is sound because that's in my expertise as a construction person uh, if you ask me what computer to buy you would be barking up the wrong tree okay uh, I would uh, point you to Jeremy or Tyler but if you come and ask a biblical question that is the oversight that we all should be able to give biblical understanding on how and what scripture means that is the oversight that is we're to give you instruction in that way these are things that you need to look for and expect out of Christian leaders they should have a desire from their heart to shepherd okay this and it says not out of compulsion and you know this should be a desire from their heart if you notice that your Christian leaders are griping and complaining constantly about the membership and about the flock they're not doing it from their heart, and that's, that's something that you should notice as the flock and bring to the attention of the other elders and to the attention of that specific elder. Okay? These are all areas that you have the freedom to come and uh, ask questions about and challenge us on. They should not be in it for money. All of these are in First Peter 2, 5 and th- uh, or 2, chapter 5, 2, and 3. They, we should not be in it for the money. Now, understand, in our context, you might think, well, you know, Jeremy's the only one that's paid, and he's not getting rich anytime soon on what he's been paying him, okay? The context that I, that's here and what we see a lot of times in America, we see pastors get into it and preach and do things in a way and a style to build a empire financially. That should never be our goal. Scripture does talk about taking care of the, the elders financially and taking care of them well. But that should not be our desire to get into this to be rich. Okay? Peter says that. And so if that's something you're seeing, that's something that you need to confront on. Why should we, uh, we should not lord over the flock. Okay? We should not hold our position over you in a way that you would be dominated in the fact that whatever I say goes. We're going to get into that more here in just a minute. And uh, we, should be, um, we should be an example of, uh, to, to you in servanthood, in how we live. Okay? We should not be one way at home and one way at church. If that's the case, that's not a good example. And if you're seeing that within the, believer, within the leadership, this is something, and the, the, the common thread that you're going to hear from me today is, this is something you need to come before and say, hey Mark, I noticed this about you in your, you know, away from church, this aspect. We want to do this in respect. We want to make sure, respect the office of the elder, but not to the point we don't ever challenge us or challenge us in what we do or say or think okay very very important um we should not idolize our christian leaders paul we just went over this not too long ago paul rebukes the corinthians for idolizing paul and idolizing apollos right they they lifted these men up above where they should be we should not idolize them and put them above God. Okay? We need to be careful that we do not just accept what our leaders say or do, but we prove it scripturally that 
it is correct. Okay, and when we see that in Acts 17.11, where the Bereans, right? The Bereans went home and they proved Paul to be correct. You know, they went and looked at the scripture to make sure Paul was saying what was right. All right, and so that is a challenge for each one of us, uh, or each one of you. Don't just, I did a lot of research. We don't have a ton of time. But there's amazing how congregations will allow the pastors to say whatever they want with no accountability. And they can say, make and say statements that are not biblical. And I'm not going to get into it, um, but we have to be held accountable. We are fallible men. And you, it is your responsibility to make sure that if you hear something that is not right, you come and say, hey, uh, can you explain more fully what you meant by whatever you said there? Okay, Very important. Because what happens is when we idolize someone, we just take whatever they say as a fact, and we don't. And, and that what, that's what leads cults, and that's what leads uh, to what Jeremy will get into here in just a minute. In what order, and this is what I'm going to close on, and I'll do this as quickly as I can. I want you just to think about this. In what order... Do you seek answers from God? Okay, and I'm going to read off an order of how this goes, and I want you to think in your own self, in what order do I do this typically? Do I go to my elders first, then to God, then I'll go on to maybe YouTube and search out my favorite Christian leader and see what he has to say? Okay? So I go to the elders first and say, this is my circumstance, what do you say? Then I'll go to God, and then I'll go to my Christian leaders on, that I respect on the Internet. Or do you go to the Christian leaders that you respect on the Internet first? You know, go click around and say, you know, whatever you're searching for, do you click there and you go there first, and then you come to us and ask us, and then, well, now I'll go see God and see what He has to say. Now, we think that's funny, but oftentimes that's what we do, isn't it? I want to know what to think about this situation. Or that situation, and so I'll go, you know, click on um, whatever Christian leader we mostly enjoy and seek him first, and then come and seek us, and then go seek God. The preferable method is seek God first, then come seek your elders uh, and, and say, you know, am I understanding Scripture correctly and what I'm seeking after? And then if you desire to go, uh, Oh, man, I'm almost... <laughs> Jeremy took some of my time in that video. So <laughs> I'm almost done. Um, then if we desire to go search out the Christian leader, that's fine. But understand, that, that's not... You, know, you don't have to go there. You do need to talk with the elders. Okay? Remember God's desire, a personal relationship with every believer. He desires a personal relationship. Psalms... Uh, 9 verse 10, Psalms 119 verse 2, and Psalms 105 verse 4, and I can get to those again later, all speak to God desires that personal relationship with you. Does not desire a relationship through us to you. Okay. Um, and then lastly, remember your elders are just men, and we, our job, we are not God. We are to point you to God. And that is our responsibility. You should never worship us or uh, 
put us up on a too high of a pedestal. We are, our job is to point you to Christ. Okay, I got to figure out the range on this. I'm not used to one of these. Um, So I was assigned the question, how do we process this? Um, When a Christian leader falls, how how do we process someone like Ravi Zacharias who was living truly a double life, when that comes out, how do, we, how do we think through that? And the first thing I want to do is walk through some names, and these are all names that I knew. I didn't have to do any research on these names. Uh, for the, from the past 10 years, I have nine names written down of men who, you probably know some of them, who have fallen publicly. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, of course, had a major influence. He wrote many books on the radio all across the country, really around the world. Uh, then, of course, after his death, it started a little bit before his death, but mostly after his death, it came out about his sexual sin. And not just that, but when he was sued by those making the claims, he countersued and had lies about the women who were making claims uh, for his actions. So very uh, devastating, gross sin. Darren Patrick pastored in St. Louis, Missouri. He had about 3,000 people going to his church, six locations there. He was a part of the Acts 29 network. And then it came out that he had inappropriate relationships through his phone and that uh, he was very domineering as a leader. He was a bully, and he ended up committing suicide last year. Jared Wilson, uh, J-A-R-R-I-D Wilson. Uh, There's another famous Christian, Jared Wilson, but uh, it's a different one. This Jared Wilson was a pastor and an author in Greg Laurie's network in California, Harvest Churches. He committed suicide about a year and a half, two years ago. He had a uh, a Christian suicide prevention ministry, and he ended up committing suicide. And by the way, when we think biblically about suicide, that is murder. We do need to feel bad for the person, and that person was dealing with things, but that is a sinful act still, suicide is. Mark Driscoll, he was a pastor in Seattle. He was one of the first Christian influences in my life. I listened to about every one of his sermons for a two- or three-year stretch. His church grew to 14,000 members. They had 15 locations in five different states, and it came out that he was domineering and quick-tempered as a leader, and the elders ousted him from their church, and that whole network, as you can imagine, disintegrated. Perry Noble was a pastor in North Carolina. They had 33,000 on Sundays. 33,000. Bigger than Payson and Sanaquin together, I think. 33,000 people. They had 14 locations. It was South Carolina, not North Carolina. 14 locations. And it came out that he was a drunk. He was a secret drunk, and that led to a divorce. And now he uh, has gone on and started an online church. Uh, Tulian Tavichkin, the grandson of Billy Graham, grandson of Billy Graham. He was the pastor of a church that D. James Kennedy pastored down in Florida. Tulian became the pastor there. They had 3,000 attenders. He wrote multiple books. Then it came out he was involved in multiple affairs, and he was ousted from that church. James McDonald, many of you know the name James McDonald, 13,000 attenders in Chicago. Huge church planting network. They literally have hundreds of churches in that Harvest Network, Harvest Church Network. He was on the radio across America, and he was secretly a bully, came out, that he was very domineering as a leader, and he had some shady financial dealings 
also. And so his whole ministry has crumbled. He's lost the church. He's lost the radio ministry. Very recently, Carl Lentz, a pastor of Hillsong Church, New York City. Justin Bieber went there, if you care about that. Uh, tons, of, tons of celebrities attended that church, but came out adultery and drunkenness and who knows what else. And now he's been removed from that ministry, Hillsong, New York City. And a name you probably don't know, Art Arzerdia. He was a pastor in Portland. He is very much in our circles. He spoke at Shepherd's Conference, John MacArthur's big uh, conference that he holds every year. And it came out a couple of years ago that he was in a couple of adulterous affairs. So uh, these are men that people have looked up to, people have learned from. I, I, as I went through those names, I'm sure you've heard things from those people. Ravi Zacharias, you have probably been influenced by his ministry. Um, James McDonald, you've probably been influenced by that ministry. And these men have all fallen. Uh, three of those men are dead, the two who committed suicide and Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Mark Driscoll went on to start his own church. He started a church down in Phoenix that's probably got a few hundred attenders. I mentioned Perry Noble started his online church called Second Chance Church. Tulian Tavichkin went on and he started a new church. James McDonald has started his own ministry called the Home Church Network. So you can go find that. He started a brand new ministry. And all four of those men who have now started new ministries have done so against the wishes of their elders from the churches where they fell. All four of those men had elders that said they were disqualified, and they went on and started those ministries anyway. It seems on that list so far, Art Azurdia, the last name I, I mentioned, he's perhaps the only one who has stayed at his local church and has been in submission to the elders there. So besides them, there are other pastors and leaders that I'm sure you can think of who have had their reputations ruined, uh, many of them who haven't even admitted to the things they've been accused of still. Bill Hybels being one of them, he's a big name in Chicago, Willow Creek Community Church, huge church. He's been accused several times over of abuse by women. He hasn't admitted to it, but he's been fired from that position. And thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives just through his ministry have been affected because of that accusation of sin. And countless other leaders now are buying into worldly philosophy we are seeing a huge wave of Christian leaders buying into critical theory, critical race theory, critical gender theory, all of these things that are antithetical to what the Bible teaches about morality, and more and more are going to be falling by the wayside. It's, uh, it's sad to watch. It's heartbreaking to watch. But we've been told that these things will happen. It's not surprising. It's certainly not surprising to God, and it shouldn't be too surprising to us if we have a correct view of both God and man. So I want us to look at a few scriptures together, and I'm going to ask for volunteers. Uh, Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Can I get a volunteer? Just quick hand. Who's got Romans? Uh, Stacy, Jerry Bowman, can you get 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 7? Can I get someone to go to 2 Peter 2 for me. Who will do that? Jessica? And I'll give you the verses when we go there. And then we'll have some more passages here in a little bit. But I want us to think of what these verses say as it pertains to these types of issues of Christian leaders falling. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. So, Stacy, can you read that for us?
Okay. We are told in Scripture there will be people with smooth and flattering speech who are slaves to their own appetites and to pay attention and to mark them. 2 Timothy 3, 1-7. Wow. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, taking advantage of women, always understanding, but never actually coming to a knowledge of the truth. Sounds about right, doesn't it? And then Second Peter, can you just read verse 1 for now? And then we'll jump down to 17, Jessica. Second Peter 2, 2, 1, sorry. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, so just as there were false prophets in Israel, there will be false teachers in our churches. And we think, okay, well, false teachers, you know, that's just has to do with doctrine on paper, right? What's the content of their teaching? Well, that's not all that constitutes a false teacher. That is part of it, but someone can say the right things and be full of devils inside, morally, and it will come out. So let's look, Second Peter 2 again. Jessica, verses 17 to 22. Right. You might need to go through those verses uh, again later. Having a form of righteousness, but denying godly power. They're returning back to their wickedness, denying the holy commandment, though they have heard it, though they've understood it cognitively. And the last state is worse than the first, like a dog returning to its vomit. These are passages that we study and we preach and we teach, and when it's all theoretical, it's, it's okay. Yeah, we can handle it. But when we see someone that we've appreciated, someone we've looked up to, someone who 
and we've shown dignity and honor, and that person is going through it. It can't be that person, can it? Well, we have to recognize that every human is capable of this type of thing. And there are instructions that we have in Scripture on how to deal with these things. And so I know that it's been a depressing 10 minutes that I've spoken so far, um, but let's talk positively about what we do. Uh, who can get Romans 15? Romans 15, verses 13 and 14. Romans 15, 13 and 14, Melissa. Who can get Galatians 6, 1? Galatians 6, 1, Joseph. And then James 5, 16. Mike, thanks. So now let's hear what do we do now as Christians? What do we do when someone falls, a brother or a sister falls into sin? Romans 15, 13 to 14. Okay, so we are full of hope. We are to be full of goodness, and we are able to instruct. Was that ESV, Melissa? It's the word admonish. It's the word to correct each other's thinking, to instruct each other in our thinking. So it's a part of the role of a church member to instruct one another, to teach one another. All of us, each other, is what we are to do. Galatians 6.1. New Testament, Joseph. No, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Okay, all right. Galatians 6 1. All right, you see a brother or a sister caught in sin. If you're mature, go help that person. Now, you've got to be careful. You've got to watch out for yourself that you don't get entangled, but you go help that person in a spirit of what? What does it say, Joseph? In a spirit of gentleness. Yeah. So that should be our approach to a brother or sister in sin, spirit of gentleness. And then, Mike, James 5.16. 16, yep. Right. That should be our posture toward our sin. Willing to confess, not only to God, but to each other. That means accountability, true accountability. People that know what's going on in our heart and in our mind. Confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. That should be our posture. So we do have some directives in the New Testament. There's so much to say about that. Um, and that's what we do when someone is local. When we have someone in the church caught in sin, we confront that person in love for the care of that person's soul, right? We confront because we care. We confront because we love. That's why we do it, because we care for that person's soul. And we've, we've gone over Matthew 18, the steps of church discipline. First, you go individually. If the person doesn't hear you, then bring two or three. And if they still don't hear, then you uh, tell it to the church, right? So you go through those steps, if someone's local. But if someone's a celebrity, that makes things difficult, doesn't it? Someone's far away. Ravi Zacharias, we don't even know if he went to church. It's not been stated anywhere I've seen. I'm sure that people who knew him well knew what church he associated with, perhaps. I don't know how often he went. I don't know if he was actually in submission to local church leadership. Not that I know of. That's a big deal. That's a problem. 
But I, let me just close with a few thoughts on this. Let's be wary of celebrity, even within Christianity. Let's be very wary of celebrity. Let's not seek it. Let's not hold it up. Let's not act like it's a good thing. It just is. There will be people who get to a celebrity status, but let's not act like it's a good thing. It just is what it is, and let's be wary of it. Secondly, let's remember what the Bible says about humans and remember that celebrities are not exempt. What the Bible says about human beings applies to every single human being, even those that we think are bulletproof in our minds. They're not bulletproof. Let's remember that. And remember that deceivers, how do they deceive many? Well, they're celebrities. That's how they deceive many. Third, learn from their mistakes. See what they have done. Again, Ravi Zacharias, we don't know if he was committed to any local church. As Mark was touching on, having a a different private life than a public life is a problem, a major problem. Learn from people's mistakes and sins. And fourth and finally, if they're still alive, pray for them and pray for their families. We don't know how much Ravi Zacharias' wife knows about everything. She could be full on in it. She could be totally innocent. We don't know. We need to pray for her. And we think of these names like James McDonald. Well, we can't pray for James McDonald. He's a Christian celebrity. (laughs) That can kind of be our default thinking. We need to pray for James McDonald and these other men who are still alive, whom the Lord hasn't taken home yet, who need to repent. Pray for them and for their families. Tyler. All right. So as Jeremy said, these, these men, this long laundry list of men who's really just the, it's just a drop in the bucket compared to what we know about and even the sins that we don't know about that are out there. We shouldn't be surprised by it because they are, like Jeremy said, just men. Um, they struggle with the same things that we struggle with. They struggle with sin and temptation just as you and I struggle with sin and temptation. It's not something that's new to humanity, not something that should catch us off guard. It's something that's happened from the very beginning. God has given us a long list in his holy word of people who have fallen to that temptation. Think of going back to Genesis, Abraham, the, the founder really of the Jewish faith and how he was tempted to to give into his fear and to lie about his wife and say oh she's just my sister right in genesis 12 not only in 12 in in 20 he did it twice um he fell into temptation a different kind of temptation than what we're talking about with ravi but a temptation that he he fell to nonetheless and his son isaac did the exact same thing he was apparently watching daddy learned from daddy he did the same thing he lied about his wife um and his son jacob whose name means deceiver. He was a deceiver, right? He deceived himself into his birthright and uh, into an inheritance that wasn't rightfully his, that God would have given to him, that it was foreshadowed would be his, but he came about it in a, a sinful, worldly way because he had given into temptation. Uh, going a little bit farther along into history, into world history, we see how Israel, as soon as they came out of the land of Egypt, as soon as they were delivered by the mighty hand of God, it didn't take but weeks for them to be falling down and worshiping before a golden calf, giving into the temptation to have something tangible and physical that they could worship, that they could say, this is what brought us out of Egypt, rather than the, the almighty invisible God 
of the universe, who is spirit, who is to be worshipped in spirit and truth, they attributed to a golden calf what God himself had done for them. A um, little bit after that, they were sent into Israel by Joshua, not by Joshua, by Moses, right? And only Joshua and Caleb came back with a, a positive report of the land that God had promised them, saying, this is the land that I brought you out of Egypt for. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's yours. And ten of them gave into the temptation to, to kowtow, to walk away and to say, well, our God isn't big enough, isn't powerful enough to overtake these giants. And all of these examples are in the, the Old Testament, right? In our systematic theology class, we're going through pneumatology right now, talking about the Holy Spirit and some of the differences in the way that he manifests himself today as opposed to in the Old Testament and how today he actually indwells within us and we have the Holy Spirit perpetually, whereas David would pray, God, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. But that's not the case today, and yet we still struggle with these same sins, these same temptations. In the Romans class, you guys just got done going through Romans 7, where Paul himself, the great apostle Paul, says, the things that I don't want to do, I still find myself doing. And that what I, I do want to do, that, those things that I should be doing, I'm, I'm not able to do because I'm still weighed down by my flesh, by my sin, by this temptation, which again is, is common to man. It's something that we all deal with, we all struggle with. Uh, again, a, another New Testament example in Peter. Peter, who was the rock, right, who proclaimed Jesus to be the, the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He turned not long after that, and he denied Christ three times in a matter of hours. And even after that, he was, he was rebuked to his face by Paul himself because he was not eating with Gentiles. He was being double-minded, like Mark referenced. He was acting one way with one group of people and a different way with another group of people. He was eating and, and rubbing shoulders with the Gentiles when it was advantageous for him to do so. But as soon as the, the people that were associated with James, as soon as the Jewish people came around, he distanced himself from them it's easy for us to fall into temptation. That is our, our natural state. We are enemies of God. We are children of wrath. And we have temptation that is constantly surrounding us and a desire and an appetite in our sinful nature to, to give in to that temptation. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to walk through some verses in this passage. Um, each of those examples that I gave you, both from the Old and the New Testament, they dealt with different aspects, different areas of temptation. Many of the men that Jeremy mentioned and, and Ravi himself, they fell primarily in the area of, of sexual sin, which is a, a great concern for us. We should be on guard against that in particular. But other areas of um, fear, of not trusting God, of greed, these are different areas that these men fell into temptation in all throughout history, and we should be aware of them. Um, let's pick up in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10. Um, and before this, let me just tell you that it's, it was speaking about the disobedience in the wilderness, the same um, kind of concept of them sending in the ten spies and them walking through the wilderness and trusting in uh, a golden calf rather than God. So that's kind of the context we're jumping into. In verse 6, it starts off by saying, Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. 
Again, God has given us many examples in Scripture for this reason, to be examples. Verse 7, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Back in Numbers 25, we can read about that, how the children of Israel gave into idolatry. They went off and they sought after and worshipped other gods because other nations came in and said, hey, come, come hang out with us, come worship these gods, and they did. And 23,000 fell in that one day. In verse 9, Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them again as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed that he does not fall. That should be what we should do. We should take heed. We should be on guard. Look at them as an example so that we don't fall as they did. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Not just idolatry in the sense of worshiping other physical things that we ascribe godship to, but idolatry of of women, of entertainment, um, all these different ways that we can be tempted to sin. And again, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, God himself, who is with us. And we should rest on him and lean on him and pull our strength from him, that he is the one who has given us the ability to overcome this sin. We have the, the fruit of the Spirit we're told to, to walk in. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that we should be seeking to to exemplify in our lives rather than the things that will lead us into temptation, rather than the desires of the flesh. We are to be called, we are called to be set apart as Christians, as children of God, to be different and unique. God has given us not only the Holy Spirit, He's given us His Holy Word to guide us, to direct us. Again, to look back and to say, these are the people who have done it right and wrong. Look at Hebrews 13, the, the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. Um, oh, 12, not 11, not 13 either. Um, yeah, so talks about the great cloud of witnesses that surround us and to, to imitate them and to be like them. And Jesus is the, the pinnacle of that great cloud of witnesses. And we are to imitate him above all. And he has given us the church, each other, for the purpose of accountability, for coming together and, and calling each other out. Looking back again to Galatians 6, Brothers, if one of you is caught in a sin, let him who is spiritual restore him in a manner of gentleness and respect, to hold each other up, to go to each other when you have an issue, a problem, when you are beginning to fall into temptation. We should have that freedom, that openness with one another to to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Help me out. Pray for me, brother. And again, when we see somebody else who's caught in a sin, we should take the initiative to go to them because when one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. We all struggle together. These men, like Jeremy mentioned, many of them lacked accountability. They weren't looking for somebody to correct them, for somebody to keep them in line. 
And that's something that we should all be seeking after and striving after. We are fallen human people, and we need to recognize that and surround ourselves with other Christians who are willing to, to correct us, to rebuke us, and to tell us, dude, you need, to, you need to get this straight, right? To be real with us when we struggle and we have a hard time. That is the purpose of the church. We all struggle with temptation. It's something that's common to all men. So, Pastor Mark, Jeremy, why don't you guys come up? If you guys have any thoughts or questions, we have about eight minutes to try to answer any questions. I know that this news of Ravi might be new for some of you, and it it hit me pretty hard when I learned about it. And Jeremy texted me a little while after and said, hey, did you, did you hear these accusations? Did you hear that they were verified? And not long after that, Mark said, hey, did you guys, did you know? And it was kind of a big deal. And it should be a big deal, even though we shouldn't be surprised by it. But any thoughts or questions? Now's the time. About the salvation of these leaders? Um, we aren't ultimately the judge, right? God is the one who is the judge of our salvation. We're told to test and to check our own salvation in First Corinthians, first or second, Second Corinthians thirteen, fifteen, I think, or five, somewhere in the Bible. Paul says, Second <laughs> Corinthians thirteen. Paul tells us and the Corinthians, test your salvation to see if you are in the faith. So it's good for us to do for ourselves, um, and obviously the the fruit of one's ministry will speak to that person's salvation. Though again, even after we are saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ, we're still going to sin. Once again, Romans 7 talks about how Paul struggled with sin after he was in Christ. So we should not be quick to condemn somebody to put them out of the kingdom of God because they were caught in a sin. But it, yeah, I'm not going to continue that. <laughs> well, and another important aspect is we, nobody has the authority to offer assurance of pardon to another person. We're not Roman Catholics uh, believing that, you know, we're standing up here as priests and we can assure you of your pardoned sin. That, that's not how this works. Um, so, I mean, the, the Reformed world can get really excited about this. Some Presbyterians think, you know, in, in church discipline, the church has the authority to say you're not saved or you are. Uh, we, we practice church discipline. We have a Presbyterian style of local church leadership where we have a plurality of elders, but we don't believe that we have the authority to offer assurance of pardon to you. We only have authority so far as the Bible speaks. The Bible doesn't speak about your specific name, but we can tell you what the Bible teaches about salvation, and at the end of the day, only the Lord knows. So, Carrie, our new friend.
yeah, absolutely. Yep, we have to have a proper biblical theology of who God is and who we are. Yep. Joseph. Yeah, so the accusations came out. There have been other accusations like Jeremy alluded to for, for years, going back to 2017 is when this other lady sued him. Um, and in large part, people just kind of brush it off and thought, well, she's trying to get some money. But it's mostly after his death in May or so, summertime, that these accusations really started to, to come out to surface. And at first they were just accusations. But RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, his ministry that he headed up, they wanted to to search them out and to figure out if there was any truth or validity to them. And so they hired a couple of third-party investigators to investigate it. Their investigation's still ongoing. I think they, was that report that came out a couple days ago? That wasn't their final report, was it? Yeah, so about this month, we should be getting a full report on what they came up with in their investigation. But they did come out with a preliminary uh, report that said that these are pretty much founded to, to have been true to some degree and they didn't specify um, all of the, the different details, but they said, yeah, that there was sexual misconduct is the wording that they used that was verified in his life. And they did give specific examples. I don't encourage any of you to go look. Um, man, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody recently who was saying, oh, it was uh, Heather Zander at Key Radio, saying when she read the report, it like poisoned her mind. It was things she'd never even thought of before. And then you read it and now it's in your head and you can't get it out. So I don't encourage any of you to go read it uh, for that reason. But there are very specific examples. It seems very founded. Yeah. Steve. So it's so important that we don't get to a point in our lives where we think we're, we've arrived, right? That's what happens. A lot of times these celebrities, you know, they've arrived. And uh, they, they cannot be um, challenged. They cannot, you know. And, and we can fall uh, victim to the same things that they did uh, or they have where we think we've arrived. And... You know, I would never do such and such sin. Be very careful with that cam- that comment because uh, you are prone to do 
all kinds of violent, vile things within your spirit. Maybe one more? Dean? Uh, yeah, I mean, we want to be careful uh, within, you know, there, there are certain sins um, you don't want to just share with everyone at the church, right? Um, there is a confidentiality with the elders um, and wisdom shared. Um, uh, if you're sin against a, another person, you know, you need to go to that person. Uh, if there's a, a confidence that you've built with another church member, sure. Um, but there is, yeah, yeah. So if you have... Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, we need to confess our sins, but, uh, yeah, don't, don't open the whole cabinet sink on someone at church. If you want to do that, you know, that is one of the, the things that the elders uh, and why we're here, um, to, to be able to, to help and guide you through those things. But uh, the church members, the, the church people um, that are following God and, we have great men and women here um, that are not uh, elders uh, and, and that can give great spiritual wisdom and great insight and can pray with you and um, you know, don't, don't think that you can only come to the three of us uh, for answers and so on. Uh, God has given all of us uh, his word and there is a reason for the three of us, but uh, there's... We are a church that grows together, and, and God speaks to each one of us through his word. He doesn't just speak to the three of us. So. Yeah, in Titus 2, Paul tells Titus that the old men are to train up the young men, the older women train up the younger women, so there's a lot of wisdom in that. We have a lot of wisdom in this church, um, and so that's a good place to start, to go to somebody who's older than you, who's been there before. But going back again to Galatians 6, 1, that if somebody's caught in a sin, he who is spiritual is to restore him. Um, that's in the context, just coming on the hills of the fruits of the Spirit in chapter 5. So that's the, the qualifying aspect there, that if you're caught in a sin, you don't go to somebody else who's caught in that same sin, who's just going to encourage you in that, who's not going to give you biblical counsel. You want to go to somebody who is spiritual in the sense that they are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. They are being led by the Spirit. And that's not in any way limited to the three of us. We should be able to find that within the rest of the body. We have a, a strong body here. Use wisdom in who you go to, but, um, yeah, that's what the body of Christ is for. And I guess I'll, I'll close with this. Um, yeah, spiritually mature people, if, they, if you are confessing something to them and they are overwhelmed, they'll know what to do next. So you can rely on someone who has wisdom. Um, but I wanted to end with this thought that came to my head. When Melissa and I were in premarital counseling <clears throat> with our pastor in Sedalia, Missouri, one of the questions he asked us, and I don't think you'll remember this, but... Uh, <laughs> maybe he will. Uh, um, he asked us, would you ever have an affair? And there's one way to answer that that sounds really good, and then there's an honest answer. The answer is, of course, I'm fallen. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm tempted and I have the ability, the capability, the wherewithal to do that. That was the point he wanted us to, to understand is that you have to have accountability structure, you have to have commitment, and you have to have true biblical love going on because, yeah, you all would sin, wouldn't you? It's, a, it's, a, it's the question, would you sin? There's a way to answer that. It sounds nice. And then there's an honest answer. Okay? So, Mark, you want to close in prayer? Just so that we all know as well, the three of us um, are accountable to the three of us. When we have our elder meetings, we challenge each other, and we confess to each other. So there's not one of us that's above, and you cannot be uh, challenged. Or So just know that there's a lot of accountability, and we encourage even our deacons to, uh, you know, and, and hopefully that you've and heard that from me in this morning, uh, that each one of you have the right to, to come to us and say, you know, I've seen this, you know, respectfully, um, but yes, let's pray. Lord, we, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful for uh, Christian leaders that um, do produce uh, information, Lord, and books, and that we can glean from them and learn from them, Lord. We appreciate uh, a lot of their ministries, Lord. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just guard our hearts and our minds as we uh, listen and, and, and heed from what they have to say. And Lord, I pray that you would be with the leaders of this church, that we would honor you in everything we say, do, and act, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would be with this local flock, Lord, that we would be a church that is uh, a picture of you and that uh, emulates you in our lives, Lord, and that we would lift each other up, encourage each other, confess to each other, and uh, worship you together as a body. And Lord, I pray that we would just be encouraged as we continue throughout our Sunday. In your name, amen.